1: a couple weeks ago on august 27th which also happens to be my colleague charlie harding's birthday many happy returns to you my friend on that friday The music world got not one, but two long-awaited albums from artists who have dramatically shaped the sound of the pop canon over the last decade. One from Churches we'll be discussing next week on our show. The other is from the group known as Big Red Machine, the joint effort from Bon Iver's Justin Vernon and The National's Aaron Dessner. Both of these albums tackle twin poles of human existence. Churches, screen violence is all about isolation, separation, and disassociation, while the Big Red Machine album, titled How Long Do You Think It's Going to Last, seems to celebrate the fruits of creative partnership and the importance of family and community. This week, I'm thrilled to be speaking with Big Red Machine's Aaron Desner, about their new album and about the musical pathways that present themselves when you open yourself up to collaboration.
2: You wash my back when we were young You stick around when
1: old. How long do you think it's going to last is a testament to the power of musical communities in a year of intense isolation. It features everyone from Taylor Swift to Sharon Van Etten, Anais Mitchell and the Fleet foxes Robin Pecknold. I'm so excited to break down some of the music on this record and learn the stories behind how it came to be. Aaron Dessner, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks so much. Thanks for having me.
1: Aaron, I'm looking forward to digging into some of the music on the new album from Big Red Machine. And I'd love to start with a song called Birch. If you cannot tell, I'll tell you right away if I stay a spell, if I cannot stay, I am less at ease. Not the best at these. See the forest trees. Call what's these, what's these. This song features one of our favorite musicians, the pop Grande Dame Taylor Swift. Tell me about this track and how it came together.
2: So the way it works, we have a lot of the Big Red Machine songs, or all of them actually, I, I make the music first. And then I sent Justin the instrumental track and he wrote the vocal melody and, and the words.
1: He's also the co-writer and co-producer of Taylor Swift's albums, Folklore and Evermore.
2: And I don't even know what that interval is. The first note he sings, is it a sixth or a flat sixth? or You know, something, it's really a beautiful kind of like, Uh, unusual choice but it's just it becomes it's just the perfect rub I I, I wrote the music when I wasn't doing so well it was it was I think the fall of 2019 or maybe 18 but I think 2019 and I don't know I was like having a seasonal low and we've become we're very good friends and I think he could feel that I should say like the song started actually with Brian Devendorf the the drummer of the National and then the song just it went through different iterations like my brother orchestrated it at some point and Taylor Swift heard it and loved mm-hmm. it so much and she added her vocals at towards the end of when we were making folklore and um yeah it's just it kind of really is what a special song
1: I feel like the process you're describing speaks to the deeply collaborative nature of this project. Why is collaboration so important to you?
2: I mean, to be honest, I'm such a born collaborator. Like, I, I feel like I'm almost always bouncing off people or kind of sharing ideas. I'm definitely interested in this sort of, I don't know, exchange of where you you make something and you send it out into the ether and then it comes back slightly changed or radically changed then you work on it and send it again and you know i I like this kind of handoff and this communal sort of approach to music making a lot of my favorite music usually there's something elusive about it and that and that whatever is elusive is coming from this weird cocktail of like different people's input, whether it's like, you know, Time Out of Mind, the Dylan album, and you can hear like two different people soloing in either ear and they're like, don't Mm. doesn't seem to be coordinated, but there's just this weird like swampy alchemy or like, I mean, all the music of the Grateful Dead that I love. You can't easily put your finger on like what, why it's so moving or why it's so viscerally like brings to mind. I can smell what it was like when I first heard a certain Bootleg or something, but it does that for me.
1: What you're describing seems to result in music that often surprises me as I listen. And I think this track, Birch, is a great example. It's almost a mashup of different styles. There's a drum beat that I would describe as kind of skittering and propulsive. And then there's a very placid piano line. And then somewhere in between, a kind of guttural vocal from Justin. I'm curious, is there an element of surprise from collaboration that keeps you coming back to this method?
2: Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a way to grow. Something like Brian's skittering beat, it's just I wouldn't have made that beat. But like, it, it caused me to kind of play in the way that I did against it. And I'm sort of playing this slightly odd rhythm on the on the right hand of the piano. And there's also this, these bass lines and guitar melodies that I played that kind of slice through it all. And eventually we took all of it and fed it through this almost AI software, this artificial intelligence patch that someone, our friend Ryan Olson, is developing. It, it samples audio and then you can, it like randomly resequences it for you into these randomized patterns. And then you can go into that and find your favorite loops and kind of weave that into the track. So you hear that like this sort of, you know, you hear it at different points. Like the wheel has fallen off or something. <laughs> 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 to me, it, it, I don't know what, I don't know what rabbit hole I've gotten down, but it, it feels new or something. It feels like at least I've, I'm making music that, that to me feels like it's pushing somewhere beyond what maybe I have done before, but not to say I'm like breaking new ground generally, but for me, you know, it's a fun process:
1: Hearing some of your insights into the creative process. It helps me understand some of the emotional valences of this record, which are a really interesting mix uh, kind of taking either end of the emotional spectrum, I think, and putting them together in the same song. I think that's true of another song like Phoenix, which features Robin Pecknold, Aeneas Mitchell, and the Westerly's Brass Quartet. I was trying
2: to find my way. I was thinking of-
1: I'm curious, when you're putting these songs together, what kind of emotional reaction are you hoping a listener will get from this material?
2: I, I'm always writing from an emotional place, and sometimes the emotions are sort of cryptic or elusive, and other times it's, it's sort of, I'm literally trying to soothe myself or, or express anger or express, you know, happiness or whatever it is, but I would say Phoenix, maybe it's happiness or it's like the the joy you feel of playing music with your friends. When I wrote the music to that song, I was literally thinking about going to visit my friend, Justin, because I I wrote it a day before flying to Wisconsin in the middle of the pandemic. And I think I was just thinking of what it feels like when we're like sitting around a bonfire having some beers. So that's Mm. the sound it's supposed to conjure.
1: In a bay line, watching
2: the fog see, the flame you slowly gave to me. What you hear Robin singing about is actually the only conversation he's ever had with Justin in person. So, like, was on a loading bay huh. dock in a venue in Phoenix, Arizona, backstage when they Bonny Bear and Fleet Foxes played a show together 10 years ago. And so it was just this kind of cool. Thing they still haven't, you know, seen each other in person since then. I don't think. I love Robin's voice, and I love Fleet Foxes, and and the idea of having them together on a song was really special or exciting. You know, just like it felt like I don't know our version of the last waltz or something, or like you know what if. <laughs> what if we don't make any more songs let's get a big crew together and make a big warm send off that was kind of what i was thinking about and then anais mitchell rewrote (laughs) the chorus words at some point to to sort of like respond more to what robin was singing about
1: that idea of sparking a conversation because there's almost an element of of dialogue in a lot of these songs or or an imagined dialogue there's a questioning in a lot of these songs in phoenix we have how do you reckon your own power on hutch we ask how did you lose your way what can you tell me now on new auburn who are you to listen who are you to care there's this theme of of questioning and and maybe being okay with with having them be open questions is that something that was intentional or is that maybe a theme that emerged organically through this
2: it's a good question i feel like a lot of the early songs did have these sort of rhetorical questions in them that were often improvised almost like reese i wrote the music but then justin improvised to it and one of the first things he said was, what's your middle name? Because Reese is my sister's middle name and my daughter Mimi's middle name. So he talked about that. And I think it just got stuck in his head. And he said, what's your middle name? Are you often blamed? Do you care about the cost?
0: What's your middle name? Are you often blamed? Do you
2: care about the cost? Magnolia is a song that I wrote towards the end of the process and I was thinking about like people close to me who get hit by a truck figuratively like when someone good and pure mm-hmm. like something terrible happens to them that they don't deserve and this feeling of like was it far when you fell was it hard can you tell me was it far when you fell was it hard Did you grieve yet? Did you heal yet? And I think it's something I've been thinking about. Like, as you become an adult, you kind of... Or get to my age when I have kids and I'm realizing... Yeah, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty, anxiety, obviously in the world, but also in your internal family life. Whether it's your nuclear family or your extended family, there's trauma. You know, people get sick, people die. Hmm. You know, relationships disintegrate, marriages disintegrate. Sometimes so it's dark, but I think it's like for me, music's a way to kind of like ask questions and feel better ultimately just by giving voice to it or, or mental health hmm. but yeah there are it's it's true there are a lot of questions that kind of run through the whole album which i think are the threads that bind it together even though there's so many different singers
1: well there's a feeling of recognition when you hear someone posing a question that that you recognize and that you have too yeah. And even if it's not, you know, you don't, the music doesn't give you the answer or the, the solution. There's a feeling of comfort in recognizing that someone else has the same questions. Listening to how these songs came together, a, a word that comes to my mind is trust, because it seems like with, with each of these songs, there's like a leap of faith at some point where you create something, create some music, and then hand it off to someone else who creates another element and you have to trust that what this person is, is going to create is going to be something that you are happy with and moved by and, and works with the song. So I guess, how do you trust that your collaborators are going to deliver, in a sense, or perform the role that the song asks for?
2: Well, I think of it almost like a family. Almost everyone on this record are, are, are people I've made records with or collaborated in some way but I also think that's what you know anytime you collaborate you have to be vulnerable you have to open yourself Mm -hmm. up and have that moment where you like jump off the cliff and give yourself over to to fate you know it doesn't it doesn't always work and sometimes you fall on your face or sometimes you lose the thread (laughs) of what was working about something but you'll never know until you try.
1: Another collaboration on this album that I've really enjoyed is the song Renegade featuring Taylor Swift. And I'd love to just zero in on one musical moment from the song, which really stands out and maybe stands out in the record as a whole. It's when Taylor sings.
2: Is it for me to say, get your shit together.
1: Is it insensitive for me to say, get your shit together? It's such a direct and sort of bracing sentiment. And I really feel like the music at that moment and the production at that moment coalesce to push that line out, to just burst it through the speakers. If that's the case, why did you want to highlight that line?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's... Um I think she was expressing this feeling of how often fear and anxiety get in the way of being loved or loving someone, and it's in like it's kind of like the song is hoping that this person will allow themselves to be vulnerable and be loved and 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 sort of figure out a way to leave baggage behind. But I think as far as the mix, Taylor has this beautiful lower range and lower frequencies in her voice that maybe you haven't heard as much in some of her records i think a lot of mixes sometimes are brightened or there's a smiley face drawn to kind of like make it really pop on the radio which is amazing and 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 great but like i think for what we were doing like a song like renegade or a song like cardigan or you know some of these songs like it, it wouldn't be as emotionally affecting If you carve those frequencies away, maybe it's just me, the way I listen to music. If you take those frequencies out, then I like miss some sort of like heart in it. So we left them in. And I think that really helps it.
0: Hmm. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table.
1: Something that strikes me, Aaron, as we're talking about uh, the process of making this record is that there's a lot of improvisation happening. Improvisation in the actual writing of the songs where you're tossing these ideas back and forth and it's happening fast and spontaneously. And there's even improvisation in the recording of the songs. So I feel like there's this element of chance or randomness that is an inevitable product of this process.
2: Yeah, I think that that's definitely like the weird thing we're chasing is this feeling of the paint is wet, you know, like you're just—it's mm-hmm. like a little bit like the the song might melt into the ether or something. And it's a little bit like—I mean, a lot of the early Big Red Machine shows were literally friends taking acid and just improvising, so
1: or or <laughs> not
2: necessarily taking acid, but you know what I mean. And um, I think. That's still the thing that, we're, that feels the best, is when it's just kind of loose. But then this time I wanted there to be real songs with a capital S in the middle of that like kind of energy. Mm. So I'm thankful that we got there. But it, it took a while to find that. How, how do you make something that's both structured
1: and unstructured? Another song that might be an example of that is Mimi. To tell the truth, darling, I have to leave. You wrote it with Justin and Ilzé Juber, but I, I think if I read these tweets correctly, you each wrote lyrics in isolation and then created the final product by weaving these three independent set of lyrics together.
2: Yeah, that's right there was a bunch of songs that were coming together because the day that the national's record easy to find came out in 2019 Justin called me and and invited me to open the next big bunny bear tour which is going to be this year, arena tour of Europe and I thought well sure but how like what do you mean and he, he he was like well by yourself and i've never played solo shows before the first show is going to be at Wembley Ar- arena in London all of a sudden I was like, I'm going to have to stand up by myself in front of 20,000 people and entertain them, (laughs) which is an outlandish and scary idea. But it sort of set some things in motion of me, like pushing a lot of this music further and imagining playing it by myself. I think things like Mimi or Brycey or some of these songs, I was literally like trying to figure out what I was going to do. And that song Mimi, it's in 5-4 and it's like, It's a very simple chord progression. It's in an odd meter, and there's something about it that's like a little tricky and but hypnotic. Mm. And I had written a whole song to it. And Justin heard it, and he was like, can I play around? And he muted parts of what I had done, and he sang his part and then kept part of mine. And then he's like, can we send this to Ilse? And I was like, yeah, that'd be amazing. Let's send it to Ilse. And Ilse wrote her chorus. like a weird postmodern Tom Petty song with three lead singers or something you know <laughs> and we're kind of like it feels like feels like we're it's somewhat related what we're singing about, but it's also not you know but I think that's part of like this bigger machine feeling I'm singing about my son and like and then Justin when he says I say thank you, I feel like he feels grateful for his life and for being a musician. but somehow those th- those ideas of longing and gratitude, because Elsie's singing about longing, but those ideas kind of inter, interweave and it connects to the rest of the album in an interesting way, I think.
1: Hearing you talk about performing solo opening for Boney Vare makes me think of some of the songs in this album that, that feature you as a singer. And in the case of one track, Ghosts of Cincinnati, are really almost like a solo showcase for your guitar and vocals.
2: Alto's noon on 12 and Vine. And I still need this over time. Cause I'm over myself, over the hill, I'm over the Rhine. For the millionth time, for the
1: millionth time. What made you feel like this was the time, this was the album, to showcase that side of your musicality?
2: Well, first of all, I had a lot of encouragement from Justin and from other people. I didn't write it as a Big Red Machine song. It was written with a filmmaker, Nicole Rigel, who has this, a screenplay called Dandelion that she approached my brother and I about working on. And there's an image in the screenplay of a, someone, like a ghost, wandering around their hometown, seeing and like looking at people from their past and they those people can't see them. Or maybe they're still alive, but they're so overextended and they feel empty like a ghost. And I could really just relate to that feeling. So I just wrote that song with some help from Nicole. And then when we were in LA for the Grammys, I I played Ghost of Cincinnati for Taylor and for Jack Antonoff, who was there, and just kind of to get their feedback. And they both were like, this is a Big Red Machine song. It's really beautiful. You Hmm. should put it on. So it was really helpful to have that feedback and just the affirmation of your friends being like, go ahead, sing. I've been in a band for 22 years or whatever it is with four other guys who I'm very close to. And one of them, Matt Berninger, has such a charismatic, beautiful, powerful voice. And so it's been very natural to sort of be more in the shadows slash this weird musical engine of the band. I'm fully happy with that. But it is true that when I write music, I hear things. I've always heard melodies and I've always sung under my breath. And I think it was just time to like...
1: Give voice to those feelings in my head. Yeah, it provides a, a sort of anchor. I think in in the album, where earlier we were talking about, you know, Renegade is sort of almost coming apart at the seams. This is like this moment that feels very centered and and earthy. I love that the album has both of those poles. It makes it a very holistic experience. I think to listen to. Thank you. Yeah, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Switched On Pop is produced by Megan Lubin, Charlie Harding, and me, Nate Sloan. We're edited by Jolie Myers, engineered by Brandon McFarland, illustrations by Iris Gottlieb, social media by Abby Barr, and our executive producers are Nishat Kurwa and Hannah Rosen. We're a member of the Vox Media Podcast Network and a production of Vulture. Big Red Machine's new album How Long Do You Think It's Gonna Last is out now, so go have a listen. Big thanks to Aaron Destner for joining us this week and sharing his approach to music making. You can find more episodes of Switched on Pop anywhere you get podcasts on Spotify and Apple and always on our website, switchedonpop.com. We'll be back next week with an amazing interview with the band Churches, who also has some deeply dope new music out. So don't miss it. And until then... Thanks for listening.
0: There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it